Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we might not perish. Come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I want this morning to talk about fear, um, and more specifically than just talk about fear, talk about fear in the book of Jonah. Um, and over the next few months, God willing, I'm going to do a bit of a mini-series um, on Jonah, so over four different sermons. Now, they won't be consecutive, there'll be little gaps in between. Um, but what we won't be doing is teaching you everything you could possibly know in the book of Jonah. What I'll instead be doing is picking out... Um, Themes, themes from each different chapter which, which have benefited me in my Christian life as I've looked through the book and therefore hopefully will benefit all of us. Um, but to start with, um, I'm looking for Mark or Rich at this point. We could do, what I wanted to do was do, a, you can do it remotely, right? But what I wanted to do was a poll. Um, so if you could go to Slido and enter that code. What, the, the, the question is, what is it do you fear? Um, just have a think about what you fear. Get... If you've got kids with you, get them involved as well. This is kind of an all-age thing. <laughs> Great, thank you. The point is, you know, fears... Sometimes fears feel like the small things. Sometimes they feel like the big things, but... You know, for us, they feel so big, don't they? And this sermon wasn't written in, in my study, okay? So physically, it was written in my study. But emotionally, it wasn't really written in a study at all. Emotionally, it was kind of, it was written at a time when I felt fear. 
And large chunks of sermon were actually written late at night when I was struggling to sleep. And at that time, writing down what Jonah 1 had to say about fear was, was almost a tonic to my own heart. And I've got this kind of funny quote which comes to mind from Mike Tyson, of all people, and he says, <laughs> you don't get many Mike Tyson quotes at Egbert, but the, um, he says this, he says, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And <laughs> it's a great quote about what life's like, isn't it? It, it? it goes well until it doesn't go well, and then it's not going well. And I guess what I said there, it does leave a slight problem of authenticity because I don't feel at this moment the same feelings I felt when I wrote, or when I wrote large chunks of this sermon. I have to be honest with you about that. Um, but I have left the sermon largely as it was because although in some ways it's difficult to relive those fears and talk about them, I think because I found this chapter helpful in dealing with my own fears, it's, my hope is that by relaying that as clearly as possible, it might be helpful for you guys as well, if, if any of you had gone through fears. Um, let me start it by talking about why is it that fear is a problem. And I think one of the big reasons, and actually it's shown exactly by that, there's a slide, slide um, thing that came down was just the number of different things there are to be fearful. If you look at that list, there's so many different things to be fearful. I mean, I don't think many of us are fearful of Dave Boyd, but um, <laughs> here we go. So, you know, oh, sorry. Yeah. Right. Thank you, that's really helpful. Yeah, so, oh, I, I, you won't be able to see it. I'm, I'm scrolling on this, but I mean, we've got things like some of the ones I had, fear of rejection, fear of being uncontrollable pain, fear of making mistakes, losing family, fear of loss. Um, I'm not sure about fear of women. Um, I'm not going to comment on that one. Fear of Monday mornings was one <laughs> I thought about. Um, fear of failure, um, fear of sleeplessness, falling a long way. There's, yeah, th th there's, there's loads of them. And it's interesting that some of the ones on those lists are things I thought about, some of them things I haven't thought about. But there's a lot of them, right? There's a lot of them. There's a lot of things to feel fearful for. And I think as a Christian, if anything, you see, so the thing with fear is you'd think in many ways, being a Christian helps us with fear, right? Because we've got the answer for the gospel. But in other ways, it doesn't help because there's a whole load of things as a Christian which you can also be fearful of, which a person living on Lugard Road, you know, a typical person living on Lugard Road doesn't have to think about. So we have, we have a fear of our sin. We have a fear of, you know, we've got all these relationships here. We've got, we've got everything we care about at church. We've got the teaching from the Bible. We've got, you know... You feel, you know, you sat in that seat while someone's preaching and it feels difficult, right? And it can make you feel fearful. I think for me, it's a lot of it's a fear of what will happen next. Of what the future holds, what the consequences of our decisions I've made. And at the worst times, that fear, I feel it weighing on me from almost waking up in the morning to the evening. And actually what you're looking for in between is a load of distractions, which... Stop you thinking about it. And, you know, I guess we all have different coping mechanisms. For me, I've got a little home gym in my garage, and I'll go there to try and distract myself. I'll go for endless walks around the block until I get dizzy to try and just 
And I keep saying, why, why are you left the house again? And um, at, at the worst, I sometimes go out for a bottle of milk and then I'm come back four hours later without the bottle of milk. But Hannah, that, that, that's a different story. Um, but the, the question, you know, hopefully for a lot of people, fear doesn't grip them as badly. But actually, for a lot of us, it probably does. And, you know, for some people it'll be worse. For some few people it'll be better. But fear is a real thing. And the question I want to ask is this. What do you do with your fears? What is it that the Bible says we should do with them? And when I thought about this, I was thinking, you know, there's, there's an easy verse that certainly I, I recollect, which says we should cast our fears onto God, right? And we know that. But why is it that having been a Christian for 21 years and, you know, been in this church receiving great teaching, I've read my Bible, prayed reasonably consistently, right? Um, why is it that that's, why do I still feel fear, right? Why is it that I can understand cast your fears on God and somehow I can still have fear? Well, Jonah chapter 1, it's not, it's not a silver bullet, bullet for fear, right? So it's not, it's not the torpedo that explodes the enemy's ship of anxiety and worry. But I think I have found it's got answers that help. Now, before I go into that, well, what I'd actually like to do is get some volunteers of hopefully a reasonably young age who can pretend to be on a ship for us. Um, great, come up. Anyway, just come up if you want to volunteer. No need to uh, put your hands up. We'll have... Uh, as many as come up. Thank you very much. Any more? Right. If you want to, can you sit on, can you sit on, I'll tell you what, do you want to sit right up on the top of the stage? If you can sit in a row, so you've got to, you've got to pretend you're on a ship here. Right. Now what's going to happen is, I've not, this is the one bit I've not practiced, right? Because how, how can you practice it? I need, what I do need is this mic, actually. If you can imagine you're on the ship right at the moment, what's going to happen is the wind is starting to blow, and the waves are getting bigger and bigger. And it's all getting, the boat is starting to break up. How do you feel? No. Here you go. Do you want to tell us, Tom, how you feel? How do you feel, Reuben? Petrified. Okay. And then if you get to the point at which this boat is really starting to break up and it's getting really, really bad, what are you thinking then? Or how do you feel? <laughs> well, come back to that thought. Um, we're going to die. Exactly. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Can you just give them a round of applause? You can go and sit. sit, sit. You can sit back now. Thank you. Yeah, as, as we look at the book of Jonah, we see, we see Jonah trying to escape God's plans, and we see th those emotions, although that felt, you know, maybe it feels a bit basic, right? But you see, what you actually see is the sailors, or the mariners, as they're called, actually experiencing those same emotions that Reuben, Jonah, and Isaac talked about then. Um, but if we start, just look at verse 1 of Jonah. So it says this. So this is Jonah trying to escape God's plans. It says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. What we have here is 
God's calling Jonah to go to an evil people, the people of Nineveh, right? And presumably he's doing so because God has got this hope that those people might repent. But Jonah decides that rather than going in this direction to Nineveh, what he actually wants to do is go in this direction to Tarshish. Now, at this point, this is a bit of a bold precedent within the Bible because the pattern within the Bible is that God calls a prophet to do something and they do it. And there's good reason for that. Because God is strong and God is powerful and you do not want to go against his plans. But unsurprisingly, therefore, it turns out that trying to escape God's plans for Jonah is not such a good idea at all. And we see what happens if you look at verse 4. It says this, But the Lord hurled, hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Now, within the ship, there's Jonah and there's the mariners. And the mariners are giving Jonah a lift to escape, to escape from, well, to escape from God, I guess. And if we look at verse 5, we can see how the mariners respond to the storm. So look at verse 5. It says this, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So, in these ancient times, people's religion was based around there being multiple gods. So, that's why, um, so if you see that first bit where it says, they each cried out to his god, that's what's going on there. So, religion was based around multiple gods, and you basically, you'd pick a god of a different specialism, so you could have a god of love, a god of um, family, a god of business, a god of w whatever it was, trade, whatever it was that you thought you particularly needed help with. And what's going on, as the mariners are afraid and it gets really bad, they start to call out to each of their own gods of their different areas saying, can you save us? And that doesn't work. So they start to get desperate. And similar to the kind of things um, those guys were saying there, that, that desperation actually doesn't involve Tom Grindy being thrown overboard, but involves a cargo being thrown overboard. Now, at that point, to throw the cargo overboard is to throw your livelihood overboard at that point. This is desperation. This is the action that people take when the end is nigh. Now, there's a story which, I, I think it's a true story, of the infamous criminal Pablo Escobar. And he got right to the end. Well, yeah, he'd had years, obviously, of doing terrible, terrible criminal things, but he'd, eventually the police had started to catch up with him and he'd, he'd fled to the hills, to the mountains. At this point, the, most of his kind of organisation, his gang or whatever you want to call it, had abandoned him, and he was there with just a handful of people. And something strange happens. He's there in the mountains, and he, he finds this, I don't know if he owned it, but he, he found this cottage, and he goes in the cottage with his wife and his people, and it's cold in the cottage. His wife's cold. And what he does, he gets a suitcase and he opens a suitcase which is full of dollar notes. And he goes to the fireplace and he lights the dollar notes. And he burns, literally burns through hundreds of thousands of dollars to keep his wife warm for a few moments. Because he knew the end was there. And when the end's there, like the mariners, you're not thinking long term, right? You're not thinking, what does, 
what does, what does my boss think of me? What does, what does, what kind of school place I get, am I getting from a kid? What's Monday morning going to look like? Everything, everything becomes consolidated into time. And that's where the mariners are here. But for the mariners, it's not where the fear stops. It doesn't stop on the boat with the cargo. In the next few verses, what happens is they, they wake Jonah up. Because they want to find out, presumably at this point they think they're going to die, they want to find out who's responsible for this. And amazingly, Jonah's sleeping through the storm. Now, well, the, the significance to that, but we'll, we'll cover that in a later sermon. There's not time for that now. But basically, they cast lots, and they find out that it's Jonah who is responsible for the storm. Now, look what Jonah says in verse 9. I found out with this room, you, might, you have to put your thing like that, otherwise it messes up the thing, that's what I'm doing. Um, and he said to him, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, that is an incredible statement for the mariners to hear at that point. So they've been, just think about it, they've been crying out without success to all these different gods, the God of trade, the God of love, the God of, you know, whatever it ends up being. And June has just revealed his God, it's not a little God of trade or love or family, but rather his God is not a God, but the God, the all-encompassing God who made the land and the sea. Look at the response of the manners. The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. You see, in verse 5, but earlier, the, the mariners were fearing the sea. And by verse 10, they're not fearing the sea anymore. They're fearing God. Because he realised that Jonah is not just fleeing from a God like their gods, but he's fleeing from a God more powerful than they could ever have imagined or known about. And they suddenly become very, very scared about God. You see, Jonah told him he was escaping from God, but until now, they had no idea who this God was. And in the middle of a storm, with the waves crashing down, the wind blowing on them, a storm, right? Their lives are under threat. They're thinking short term. At that point, Jonah, tries to, Jonah tells them that he's trying to escape from the God who made the land and the sea. I mean, think about it. This is a man who is escaping from the God who made the sea in a boat. Imagine what they're thinking. But their fears about, believe it or not, their fear escalates even more in verse 16. As they actually, what they actually do, Jonah says, basically, you've got to throw me overboard. That's the only way through. So they throw him overboard. And then what happens is that all doubt is removed over who God is. Because... The storm doesn't continue. The sea becomes like glass. The storm stops. The wind stops. The waves stop. Silence. It says this in verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, you can't quite see it in the English language, but in the original, the, when it says they feared exceedingly, 
The language is this idea of mega, 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 mega fair squared cubed multiplied by whatever number you can get. It's kind of, it's the most extreme fear that it's possible to convey in this original language, right? The fear has reached a climax. It's gone up from starting with a fear of a seat to a fear about this idea of a god, and then this huge fear, a realization of who this god actually is and that it's all real. And the point in a nutshell is this. Do you fear the waves or do you fear the god who made the waves? In verse 16, what's actually happening is that the mariners are realizing that they've actually feared the wrong thing. They were worried about all the storm. So they were worried about the storm, but all the time, the God who made the storm was there. He could stop the storm. And if he could stop the storm, what else could he do? You see, if I spend my life fearing about my career, my job, what will happen next in my life? I'm missing an important truth, aren't I? Because I'm not in control of any of those things. I'm not in, I'm not in control of them. And neither are you. You're not in control of your lives. None of you are. None of us can guarantee that our kids will be clever, that our marriages will work, that life will go just as we plan, that our jobs, our careers, whatever it is, our family, our relationships, our friendships, whatever it is we care to mention, whether it's our health, anything, we cannot guarantee that any of it is going to work out as we planned. Now, for sure, we can do things to help ourselves, can't we? But when it really goes wrong, we're left getting that cargo and throwing it overboard, I'll get it in the dollar notes out of a suitcase and setting them on fire. But I guess that, where that leaves us to, if, we, if we're on board at that point, if you can all see that actually from Jonah chapter 1 we're helpless in a storm, the question we've then got is, what guarantee is it that God will help us in a storm? Why is it that God chose to help the mariners? Well, the answer isn't, I don't think, explicitly in Jonah chapter 1, but it is in the New Testament in Mark chapter 4, where instead of, instead of Jonah being asleep in a boat, we have Jesus asleep in a boat. The storm's the same, right? The storm's the same. There's still a storm. It's blowing on the boat. Jesus is in the boat. Jesus is asleep. But unlike Jonah, Jesus is God. And when the disciples call out to Jesus and say, Master, save us from the storm, right? Jesus doesn't cry out to God because he is God. He just says, calm, be still. And again, the storm dies. The sea becomes like crystal glass. And it is still. And the same Jesus who came to earth to rescue us from death, from sin, has the same power, and this is difficult, right? It's difficult because we've all got circumstances, but he does have the same power to stop the fears that we face. Just as he says he said stop to the storm and it stopped, he has that same power to stop the fears that we face. And there are no other 
authorities that he needs to call to to do that. He has that power. And next to Jesus, next to the size of Jesus who rescues us, our fears are very small. And I guess as I've studied this passage, I've realised that Jesus is bigger than the mistakes I make. He's bigger than my fears, bigger than the things that haven't worked out quite as I would have hoped. Bigger than things that in the future won't work out quite as I hoped. The storms I've walked through have been sent by God and he's been in control of them. And it's only ever taken one word for Jesus to stop those storms. And as I look at my mistakes, I realise that God knew I would make those mistakes. He's only given me a certain amount of intelligence, a certain amount of knowledge, a certain amount of experience. And whether it's, you know, as an employee, a father, a husband, a Christian, an elder, I fall short, right? But God knows that. And, and look, how, look, at, look how God responds to the mariners in this chapter. Right? He doesn't criticise them. He doesn't say to them, if only you hadn't sailed that ship on that day, there wouldn't have been a storm. He doesn't say, if only you'd bailed out the water quicker, you would have got to the shore and it all would, would have been fine. And crucially, he doesn't say to them, if only you were better sailors, you would have been okay. He doesn't say any of those things. Instead, what he does is he takes them right to the very edge, to the eye of a storm. And at the point that their plans are out the window, when the dollar notes are burned and when the car goes overboard, at that point, he reveals, Jesus reveals his power to them. And he shows his glory to them. I think that's a challenge, I'm, I'm just finishing now, but I, as, that's a challenge for us all, isn't it? As you think about your fears, whichever ones they were, stop thinking about them. That's a challenge for us. Stop thinking about them and instead think about Jesus, because it's Jesus who controls everything in the world. I wrote this actually before Joshua got into school, so I said, when, when your kids don't get into the school you wanted, the answer isn't to question whether you've let them down, but to question why God didn't make them more clever. The answer is to trust God who made all the schools, the God who made all the teachers in the world. And as you fear for your health and your family, as you worry about the future and how things might work out, stop. Stop placing yourself at the heart of the universe. Stop pretending that you have control over these things. Nothing that happens in your life will be a surprise to God. You see, in the following chapters, what we see is that God's will will happen. And there isn't a set of decisions that somehow leads to some plan B in our lives where things haven't quite worked out. You know, when I was, when I was younger, I'd, you guys probably know nothing of this because you have computers and stuff, but when I was younger, you used to have these books. Didn't you have any of those books where you have a decision at the bottom, A or B? And depending on A or B, it takes you to a different page. And if you follow the right course of A's and B's, you end up in a really good situation. I don't know. You get the girl, live happily ever after, and have loads of money, right? And if you take B, you end up in a ditch. But 
I think, I think my Christian life or my life full stop is a bit like that. That if only I turned back a few pages and I picked B instead of A, it might have been better off. I might have been better off. And that somehow there's a whole load of A's and B's down the line that I've got to get right. But that's not how it works, is it? God chose for that boat to be there. God chose for the mariners to be on the boat. He chose for Jonas to be on the boat. Whatever mistakes we've made, God is with us. And if you trust in him, you can be sure that he will carry you to be with him for the rest of eternity. There may be, there may be storms along the way. The path might not be the one you want. My path hasn't always been the one I've wanted. But it's okay, isn't it? Because my destination is secure. And if you're trusting God, your destination is secure too. Look at your... F- I was going to say, look at your fears on the board. That's not going to work, is it? But remember, that whatever it is you put on that board, right? God's in control of his fears. Whatever happens, they can't take your salvation away, those fears. I just want to finish with one sentence. This is my last sentence. And this is, this is hopefully something which will make sense from primary school age all the way up. There are lots of things that you can worry about or fear in your life. But you must remember that Jesus is in control of all of them. And if you trust in him and love in him, you are safe. Not that bad things won't happen. But because Jesus has rescued you, you can be 100% certain that you'll be in paradise with him for the rest of eternity. And nothing can take that away. I'll just pray to close. Dear Father, I thank you that, not just that you love us, but that you care about us individually. And things might not go to plan, but it's your plan, not ours. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn to put our fears on you rather than ourselves. Amen.